Salutations, listeners. See you, Alice Valeo. Vala Magulis. Nah, no, nah, no. Thank you for tuning in. This is Three Men in a Basement, and we are the Ultra Crepidarians. My name is Colin McLeod. Mark Pierre. Action Jackson. And in this podcast, we review movies, and we deliver to you, the listener, an average schmuck's opinion about hidden gems in the wide world of cinema. We try and target movies that are not total blockbuster smashes. They're not busting any blocks. Not quite obscure. Yeah, not a Star Wars. Uh, we also aim for movies that aren't super duper obscure, ones that like you could probably get your hands on a copy either through a streaming service or maybe at your local library, but we're not... Gotta love the library. Oh man, support your local libraries, and if you don't, don't listen to our podcast. Fuck you. Yep. Um, wow. <laughs> it went hard. No, I second I will, I will no, die on the hill of supporting my if local If you don't library. like libraries, I don't like you. Yeah, that's... See- now I, I want to take an anti-library stance just to be an do asshole. Do it. You dare. Do it. Do it. Do it. You See what happens. I See hate what happens. libraries. I hate libraries. There's so many books. You know how many pages there are? <laughs> hundreds. There's hundreds of pages. Usually there's about a dozen pages because pages are the people that stock the books on the shelves. Oh, I hadn't even thought about those pages. Yeah. yeah, two of your sisters worked in libraries. Get educated. Which sisters? You get your education. Alyssa <laughs> and Megan. Oh, very well, very well. Okay, so you were saying. So, we review these movies that are at your local library, and we deliver to you our opinion about whether or not you need to go to your local library, punch Mark in the face on the way over, and then uh, watch it review it, and tell us how much you liked it. So, in this week's episode, we reviewed the movie... A Whale Rider. Whale Rider. I had never heard of this movie before. I have seen this movie probably two or three times, but honestly, I don't think I've seen this movie since at least 2010. So it's been it's been a good 10, 12 years. I think this is the first episode that I've ever done where I've seen a movie more than both of you combined. How many times? At least... Four prior to tonight. So mm. on the low end today would be five. Wow. That sounds like it could be almost six. It could almost be six. That's amazing. Maybe even seven. Don't mm. you go there. And that's math. And you can get math books I, at your local library. At your local library. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, well, all right. I, I, I don't have a problem with libraries, guys. Okay. I'm just taking a devil's <laughs> advocate position. Okay. I'm trying to be an asshole. We will never... Let Mark forget they about his... They got books his... and shit. You know, sometimes they got <laughs> video games and, you know, who doesn't like a video game? Who doesn't like a video game? <laughs> At a library for learning. <laughs> Good old Mavis Beacon. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. So, maybe Bacon. So Whale maybe Rider. Bacon. Uh, what, uh, what kind of movie is this? Yeah, so Whale Rider, 2002 movie, rated PG-13. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, Maybe. could have been PG. I think. Could have I think been I, PG. you're right. I think it could have been PG. It's a very soft PG-13 in that it doesn't contain anything explicit. Uh, why? Why does it even get that 13? The cigarette. You're probably right. It probably is the cigarette, and then also the um, singular, the one, the cigarette. one cigarette. It's also like the concepts are are kind of like I think would be challenging for. A, a younger viewer like, yeah, but like n- even though nothing is like explicit i i don't think i would probably like expect this to hold the attention of a younger viewer yeah but like, but you're right the rating shouldn't reflect that I don't, yeah I don't... but i think you're right the cigarette um there are some calls to violence kind of thing but it's you know sort of like set in a cultural context i don't know it's if this were pg i i wouldn't bat an eye like, no it's... i agree you're right you're right okay so ready pg-13 it's definitely a soft PG-13. Yeah. An hour and 41 minutes. 
I'd say that's accurate. I mean, it's kind of a slow movie. Not that it drags on, but all of the scenes are, are very, you know, they take their time. It's very intentional. Yes. Uh, I agree. I think it's I think it's right on the nose. I felt like this was longer than it actually was. I feel like if it were any longer, then it would have been too long. Yeah. And, and, and me saying that it felt longer than it really was, I'm not saying that like I didn't enjoy it. I, I truly did. But I think just the way it's crafted, when you finish the movie, you feel like you've you've been watching it for a while i I don't know like it it, there wasn't a point where i like was done with it but no i uh while i did feel like this was longer than maybe the timestamp would indicate like i was engaged the whole time there are movies that like i've watched where i'm like that felt long but i still really enjoyed it so i I get what you're coming from i don't think i don't think this is an example of that necessarily from my own perspective but i know exactly what you're saying yeah yeah uh what genre would you throw this thing into so imdb has it as Drama family. Bare bones, but accurate. Yeah, drama for sure. Yeah. Family, yes, but I feel like family in this context is like... I feel like family is typically like, hey, let's like, you know, get the kids together and we'll all watch a family movie together and we'll watch, you know, Dumbo or like... Uh, yeah, I, I don't you think know, this would be good for a family. If it, no, but I feel like family here is maybe being like used as a surrogate for like, like culturalist. Like, I feel like there are some movies that part of what they do, part of their part of their thing is that they help people to experience and get exposure to another culture, typically the culture that they are like, you know, as of as of yet unfamiliar with. And and, and I think this fits the bill perfectly. And I feel like maybe when they're saying family, that's what they're trying to get at. And in this context, I feel like the word family is almost redundant, but only from the perspective of what the culture is. Because, I mean, the group of people that this movie is focused on is all about family in a much broader sense than, you know, Americans know the nuclear family to be. Like, my family, your family, his family. There's a broader sense of family that's displayed in this movie. Exactly. So, for it to say, you know, it's a family drama, it's like, yeah, but, like, everybody that was in this movie was considered family from the characters itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Community. Yeah. Community, a tribe. Do do we feel like there's anything missing? Uh, I personally don't. Like, this was not a comedy. This was not an action. This was not a fantasy. You know, in my opinion, this was drama at its best in that there were many moments in this movie where I was livid. I was infuriated at what was going on. And not in a, like, we need to turn this off kind of sense, but, like, in a, I need to see how this situation, like, resolves itself because, <laughs> like, I'm I'm really upset with what is going on. No, I, I agree 100%. I don't think there's any other labels that would really fit this movie just because of what it is. I mean, it is a tried and true drama. So, sort of so, like, like going back to, like, I'm sorry, but, uh, like, uh, like rain, rain Over Me. Or, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, I forgot is, we did that. That's that's a good. It's like a, drama in like its purest form. Yeah. So and like Rain Over Me had a lot of laughable moments and quotable lines and mm-hmm. stuff, but at its core, it was one hundred percent drama. It was and so there's heavy. Really, no getting yeah. around that particular label. And this movie didn't even have the the fun, laughable like it wasn't levity. Yeah. No. And I think, like, sort of building on that, I'm going to segue real quick into saying that, like, 
There's not a lot of levity in this movie. Like they were saying, it's it's very dramatic. It's also very much about a specific culture. And we on this podcast really like to bring the levity and find some fun shit. So, you know, I, I always feel like I need to give this disclaimer when a movie is really serious, like when we're doing Rain Over Me or Jacob the Liar or something like that. I always feel like I need to say like, you know, we're going to be having fun with it and we're going to be joking and laughing and jovial. But that doesn't mean, you know, we're laughing at the movie and it doesn't mean that we don't, you know, take the content seriously. We just, you know, for you, the listening audience, we like to present a fun time and we like to have a fun time on the podcast too. And just because a movie's serious doesn't mean, you know, the three goofballs sitting in the basement don't be serious. So I always feel like throwing out that disclaimer, you know, just in case somebody gets their knickers in a twist later uh, in the episode when they're like, they're laughing through a very serious scene and it's like we understand and respect and appreciate that it's a serious scene and we took it as serious when we were watching it and we you know we hold that in our hearts but also you know you come to three men in a basement for a whole bunch of dick and fart jokes so (laughs) i for one i for one am very glad that we watched a dramatic and heavy movie tonight because i cracked a rib today and let's just say that if i was laughing really hard i'd probably be in the er right now yeah guy hasn't laughed at all no he has been just stone-faced yep yeah but uh, just a piggybacking off of that um you gonna piggyback on me right now i'm gonna piggyback i'm gonna piggyback on you i'm feeling mark's schlong in the small of my back that's i i I would watch that that's he's he's graphic he has piggied on my back that's Mm. graphic no, but it's it's not even that, like the content of this movie was like heavy in the same way that like a rain over me was or Jacob the liar or Jacob the liar. Blech. It's it's more like it felt like a personal I don't know like like a periscope into another culture or another life and me having absolutely no reference points to, to to base upon. I felt like the cultural illustrations that were presented in this movie were taken quite seriously. So, you know, given my limited exposure to this particular culture, it like it, it's heavy in a way that is like just fascinating and, and, and very interesting to me. And it, it's, it's heavy in a, a family context. There's a lot of like um, personal, like universally relatable friction that is presented in this movie that, that anyone can relate to. But we're not dealing with trauma in the same way that some of the other movies that we have talked about do. Not that this movie doesn't have its 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 intense beats to it, but the seriousness within which we, we try to approach this particular movie is more about wanting to be respectful to nuances that we are not as familiar with. Or at least that I'll just say that I am not as familiar with. I feel like Mark started where I was at and then, and then went, went, to, went to be like... We're going to be respectful. And I was like, I think I led with like, yeah, but we're still going to be making dick and fart jokes. <laughs> well, I'm not saying respectful dick and fart respectful jokes. Respectful dick and fart jokes. Dignified. This is a dignified, phallical situation. One might say dignified. Dignified. There we go. <laughs> there, we, had to, we had to get it in there. You know, you came, you came to three men in a basement for the dick joke. You got it. All right. This is dignity at its finest. <laughs> there. All right. So what's what's our IMDb description? Okay. This our IMDb description. So a, a contemporary story of love, rejection, and triumph. As a young Maori girl fights to fulfill a destiny, her grandfather refuses to recognize. That's pretty good. That's tight. Yeah. yeah I'm, I, I feel like... I endorse it. Even though I don't feel like this movie has a whole bunch that would be ruined by knowing more, I feel like that's a really good sort of lead in i'm I'm perfectly happy leaving it at that like i could think of a couple more descriptive summations to this movie but again if you care about spoilers at all this really isn't a movie that you can spoil very well yeah 
No, it's because yeah, it's, it's all about the content and experience rather than the actual plot. I yeah. agree wholeheartedly. Okay, so who who directed this movie, Mark? Uh, this was Nikki. Oh, I'm gonna say Caro. 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 Yeah, not. Uh, I'm not familiar with uh, with their other work. Um, she did a lot. It looks like I I did not know this, but. McFarland USA, which was that was a big movie. Mulan, the new live action Mulan. Mm-hmm. Uh, take that for what it's worth. Uh, I have not seen it. So uh, Zookeeper's Wife. That was that was uh, that that did well. Yeah, Anne with an E. That was a big one. The the reiteration of Anne of Green Gables. Oh, I did not see that. Is that good? Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty good. I mean, it's one of those adaptations where. If you like the original story, you're probably not going to like this one. But it is one of those, like, this is my interpretation of Anne of Green Gables kind of productions. It's a lot darker. Okay, so who do we have in this movie? Well, probably no one you've heard of. Uh, oh, so, there's a couple, maybe, but... So the, the main character is Keisha Castle Hughes. And the one thing that you would probably not know that you've seen that she was in was Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Hmm. She played the Queen of Naboo. Hmm. Didn't we all? I mean, at least once. She is, a, she is an amazing actress. She is. I think, I would argue, probably the, the biggest actor in this movie, or at least the one with the most... Clout. Yeah. Perhaps. Are you thinking of Cliff Curtis? Yeah, Cliff Curtis. Um, you know, he he was in Sunshine, uh, Training Day, Avatar: The Way of Water. You know, this is very recent. You've definitely seen him. He was in Doctor Sleep, Fast and Furious. I think of all of the actors in this particular movie, he has kind of he's in a lot of yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's, he's bubbled up. He's definitely that guy that like you might not know him by name, but you know him by face. Yeah. He is fucking everywhere, dude. His character in The Meg was great. That's right, he was in the Meg. Yeah. You and I actually went to see that in theaters. Yeah, we did. That was at the Canton Cinema. Mm, R.I.P. But who else was in this? So you have... And I guess, to be fair, real quick, I'm sorry. Cliff Curtis, while he played a critical role, he was far from the headliner. Yeah. But looking at his catalog, I feel like I know why. So, like, Cliff Curtis, again... I know his face, and I know I know him from a bunch of shit, but, like, a lot of his stuff actually came before 2002. Right. So, in some ways, you know, oftentimes you want, like, a big name or a bigger name attached to your project to sort of elevate it a little bit, and they can have an important but admittedly, like, low-frequency role yeah. that can sort of catapult the thing but allow the other actors and actresses to, to sort of, you know, flourish and, and yeah, show what they can do. he's worth the price of admission and then sacrifices his screen time to other players. And, that... he's, and he's amazing in what he does, but yeah. you're right. Yeah, that's a good... Yeah. Uh, the other actress that a lot of people will know, and she's amazing and she works a lot with Taika Waititi, mm-hmm. is Rachel House. Yeah. So I did not know that she plays Grandma Tala in Moana. Because yeah, but... It's, it's hard. Unless somebody has a really unique voice, it can be kind of difficult to to peg somebody, you know, from just voice. But she was in Hunt for the Wilder People, which was directed by Taika Waititi. She plays the police officer that tries to track the kid down. Um, she was in she Thor? Was in, yeah, yeah, so she, she, was in Ragnarok. Play, she plays the assistant to the Grand Master, who, like, hands him the talisman that he, like, melts that guy with, remember? And no she's, way. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Thor Ragnarok was also directed by Taika Waititi. So um, she is often attached to his projects, 
partially because Taika Waititi is, is also Maori. He's also Maori. He's a Kiwi, and he likes to employ Maori and or uh, indigenous peoples. Well, indigenous peoples, but you know, not just not just Maori, but you know, other New Zealanders as well. Basically, I think if you're a up and coming New Zealand actor, and he likes to promote from within, as it were, right? Um, which is awesome because we've got a lot of really awesome New Zealand talent. Yeah. I think exclusively because he caught his break. He didn't forget about his roots. He didn't right. forget about where he came yeah. from. And actually, got... same with Peter Jackson. Yeah. Right. You know, another another Kiwi that hit it big and he really fought hard for New Zealand actors and actresses to be in his projects and to, to elevate what he does. And I, I really respect both of those directors for what they've done. I think the last one worth mentioning is Rawiri Parathane. He plays Koro which is the grandfather in the movie. Not a well-known actor. He's He's been in a couple of things, but he was in Man-Thing, Golden Boy, and The Auckland Days. Three Man? movies. You say Man-Thing? Man-Thing. Yeah, it's it's a relatively recent project. Came out in well, not not super recent. I mean, so we promised Dick and but... Fart jokes, and I feel like you're kind of glossing over Man-Thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man thing. thing, Man Thing was two thousand five. They they found. What did they find? Tell me, tell me what they found. They found a know. Man Thing. Oh, they found a Man What's Thing. What's a yeah. Man Thing? It's uh, so it's a DC character, it's Man Thing. Okay, you're you're trending in the wrong direction here. Yeah. They found they found a penis in the woods. Yeah. In the swamp. In the swamp. In the swamp. And hey, hey, Who let's not judge been? where it's been. Right. We've but, all had swamp ass, but ow, fuck. Who, who hasn't found a penis in the swamp? Uh, you know what? That's true. I mean, that's kind. That's kind of. Uh, you, you go into a swamp, you find a penis. I mean, that's just. Right. Right. That's went, science. I'm I went sorry. Too loud listeners. and it hurt. Okay. Oh, he went too loud and it hurt. Okay. That's uh, that's what they say. So hang on, I'm, just, I'm just I'm trying to imagine this scene in Man Thing where they find the penis and yeah. they they pick it up and they say, "It's a man thing." Yeah. It's probably like an an Excalibur esque moment. You can only pick it up. Out of the mud. If you are the, the chosen. chosen one. Yeah. What does the chosen one have to do, though? You don't. You I mean, like in Arthurian lore, you got to be the king of England. This is not... This if you is pull a, a dick out of the swamp, what do you get? This is not a direction that we're going to head on this podcast. I... Okay? I feel like we have to. No. What do you get? What do you get? No. No. We're not talking about it. You get gonorrhea is what you get. Oh, <laughs> That's rough. Uh, <laughs> I traipsed deep into the uh, swamps of penicillin. <laughs> that's a sassy bitch. So uh, into the chlamydial swamps. Uh, <laughs> oh, I fucking hate you. It's, see, it's funny because he like actually broke his rib today, so he's in pain. <laughs> that's a real uh, that you just heard, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so if you can like do your best, Jackson, to pull yourself out of your debilitating pain and just answer this very simple question. Yeah. Unsheath your Trojan rubber of justice. Uh, would you, march into that swamp. Would you recommend this movie? I just want you to like peer through the pain for just a moment because my question takes priority over your body. <laughs> over your body. This is this is dark. Because it's real. He did break his rib today. And I'm a bad friend. I would absolutely and have on mo- Oh, fuck. He's in pain, guys. It's funny. Um, I would absolutely and have on multiple occasions recommended this movie to people. And I would again. Yeah. What about you, Colin? I recommend the shit out of this movie. 
it would never stop me from recommending it. However, I think I would tell people, kind of like what you were saying, Mark, like, you know, it's a drama and it, it goes at its own pace, but it is an enjoyable film to watch. It is still engaging and it is eye-opening is the wrong term because that's like revealing something that you're you uh, didn't not, not privy to yeah uh it's more like illuminating right it provides an amazingly detailed snapshot of at least part of maori culture and history and it's always fun and interesting and enjoyable to see aspects of culture woven into film with intentionality you know, like the, the cultural aspects of this film, they weren't a gimmick. They weren't something that was put in to try and boost the film. It was the film and it was awesome. Like it was, it was cool to be sort of immersed in it. Yeah. I, I also would recommend this movie and I love my caveats. You have to be in the mindset for a drama, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there who don't have the attention spans to maybe properly appreciate what this is. Maybe the same people who, uh, don't support their local libraries. I feel like that, no, no. Well, I feel like ja you can't see it. Jackson's giving me his support, but he's he's given, doing it silently. Given the devil's advocate position that I took, uh, being anti-library, which I am not, I ladies and gentlemen. I have an uncle library, but I don't have an anti-library. God damn! It. You don't have an anti-library? No. I no. love libraries. They're great. That's what he says. But I will take up the argument that they're terrible. I if dare you it prove makes, it. If it makes for interesting conversation, I'll do that. God damn it! No, show me your library card. God ah oh, fuck. Yeah, you just you just Ow. revel in that pain. <laughs> but uh, Mark doesn't even have to argue because Jackson's body's gonna defeat him. That's so. right. I win. No. I can't even fight because my body's fighting me. Yeah, that's <sighs> a, it's a win for me. Mm. Um, Enjoy it. Yeah. No, this was a really good movie. Um, like honestly, it was upsetting in like the best ways. You know, like when a movie pisses you off, it's doing something right. Yeah, um, absolutely. And uh, like there were times in this movie where I was like just angry at what was happening. And, you know, it, it didn't make me want to turn it off. It made me want to keep watching because I wanted to see how those things resolve themselves. Um, this is, I think, in my opinion, drama at its best. At its most goodest, if you will. Most, most goodest. Most goodest. <gasps> Are we ready to blah 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 Spoilers, baby. Spoilers. Spoilers. So we're in spoiler territory. What? How do, how do we feel about that? I feel pretty good about that. I like spoilers. So this movie, uh, I think it's going to be... I think we actually go through the nuts and bolts of this movie pretty quick, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I think most of this movie, it's not that there was like long, awkward pauses, but like the weight of this movie is in like the, the interpersonal dynamics of it. And, yeah. And that'll be difficult for us to like effectively articulate. Yeah. Or we could just do it in like a sentence, even though it's sort of drawn out through an entire movie, you know, on screen kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, so this movie opens with... The Birth. Yeah. Yeah, so the there's a sort of like voiceover by the lead actress and she's sort of describing the history of her people and Haikia, who was a mythical figure who rode a whale to New Zealand from the lands of the ancient ones, Hawaii, and rode onto the shores of New Zealand and helped found the, the first Maori tribes. Um, telling this story while it keeps cutting back and forth between sort of like underwater images of... Zivel. Huh? Of Zivel. Of Zivel. 
okay. uh, as Casanova Frankenstein would say, and a woman giving birth. And basically, the narration sort of ends with it's a woman's voice. It's like I said, it's the female lead in the movie saying, "My twin brother died when we were born, and he took my mother with him." Which is an extremely heavy way to open a movie. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, talk about burying the lead. I mean, she's just talking about how she lost her twin brother and her mother in one fell swoop the and, day she was born. And at the same time, her grandfather is completely dismissing her as an infant and is, is far more concerned about, not, not to dismiss it, but he's lamenting the loss of her twin brother more than acknowledging her entry into the world. It was such a soft way to put it. Yeah. Like, he was a fucking monster. Like, well, he, he literally came into the room where everybody is is standing around mourning the death of this mother and child, goes up to his son, who is the father, husband, and where's says, the where's the boy? He knows that his daughter-in-law is dead, and he just goes, where's the boy? Yeah. And then he and his son go out into the hallway. They have some words. His son more or less tells him to fuck off. And his son says... Her name's Pykea. Uh, he won't accept that. And, and yeah. Koro, the grandfather Koro, he's like, no, anything but that name. That you can't, you can't go with that name. Anything but that. Because there was a sort of a tradition, an idea that Pykea, the mythical figure who was the sort of progenitor of at least their Maori tribe and others likely, would be sort of born again and save the the Maori people. And so they were looking for a male, a specifically male firstborn to sort of lead them to salvation, to, to save the culture, to save the people. And so... The fact that he was convinced it was going to be the boy that was Pykea. The boy dies, and then his son names the girl twin Pykea instead, set the grandfather off pretty heinously. And then the grandmother, who was exceedingly nurturing, the grandfather is kind of like mourning over the grandson, who still, i this is a little strange to me, but was still like... There. St- still there, like in... You know, like the the sort like of... he was stillborn and wrapped in like a receiving blanket, yeah. and put on put in the like, what do you call those things? Like the the clear plastic, yeah, wheelie the, gigs. The basically the bassinet that they give you when your baby is born. Yeah, yeah. they had like a double one. Yeah, and and it was like the live girl baby in one, and the dead boy baby in the other, and they just sort of left them like that. Yeah, which was weird very strange but anyway so he's the part that really triggered me was they put the little baby hat on him yeah like he was all he was had his name yeah. tag had the receiving blanket everything and yeah i was just like oh my oh. god well, I, I guess i i don't want to be like you know bull in a china shop here but like it it, it was shocking to my sensibilities that they yeah. would keep yeah. what was effectively and again i'm gonna be crass a corpse yeah oh right sure. next to a newborn yep and i i guess i don't know if perhaps it's it's not as like like was that a cultural thing was yeah. that is that a New Zealand thing is that something that they did just for the the movie the movie because it was convenient because it helped them tell the story because it was a very pivotal scene where he's basically like lamenting was the, the baby, death of his grandson yeah was and, the baby corpse a plot device or was that just how they do things yeah, right way, exactly it, it was it was provocative nonetheless yeah. And so he's like sort of, you know, mourning over his grandson and the granddaughter is crying and the grandmother picks her up and he says, get her out of here. And so she, the grandmother leaves with the newborn baby girl, Pykea, 
and she's just outside the door and the girl's still crying and the grandfather comes out all pissed off i you know i can't lament appropriately because the baby's crying outside the door and the grandmother says an awesome line which is before i leave with her you will acknowledge your newborn baby granddaughter and hands her to him and she immediately stops crying and she says see she likes you and then he hands her back in a very gruff fashion and well, says, get her out of here. I, I think, and then goes back in. I think there's like a split second. You know, they, they do they do stretch it out, I think, just long enough to like... The grandfather's character in this movie is probably the most complex of any character. And I personally felt like they stretched that scene out just long enough to like suss out that like he loves her but like it didn't take too long for him to switch back into his mode you know where he was dismissive like i think throughout this movie he shows that he has affection and he he does love his granddaughter but he can't code switch appropriately from yeah. traditionalism to realism without him feeling like he's not acknowledging his history and culture. Yeah. Um, by by him acknowledging his granddaughter as Pykea, he is throwing away all of his history, his culture, and his people's story. Yeah, he's he's so blinded by his culture that it doesn't allow him to love his granddaughter in the way that he should and the way that she needs. And by the same token, if he acknowledges that he loves his granddaughter, he's throwing all of that to the wind. But I, I, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Like, I think I think one thing that's, like, definitely kind of damning for his character is, like, there is nothing precluding him from loving her. And while he does love her, and that's evident in his actions, it is not evident in his words or the way he, like, openly treats her. You know, like, he does things that let you know, like, okay, he loves her, but he is immensely cruel with his words, with his, like, like you know, with how he treats her, both in public and in private, and nothing in his culture, nothing in his tradition would preclude him from loving his granddaughter. No. He, the way he treats her is is born out of his resentment that he thinks she shortchanged his culture, his tradition, his people, which he wants nothing more than to save. He thinks her birth fucked all that up. Yeah. And he's upset about it. And so every time he looks at her, he sees the death of his own people. Yeah. And like, while I get that he doesn't want to acknowledge her as Pykea, the dissonance goes too far. Yeah. You know, it's 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 not just that he's not acknowledging her as Pykea. It's not just that he's not acknowledging her as the leader, the new leader of, you know, his tribe. It's that he's doing that and resenting her for her existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that but that's why I say that his his character was so complex is I felt like they did belabor that scene just long enough that when I'm watching it, having never seen this movie before, I interpreted that he had a connection for a moment that he had that he softened for a moment before he switched back in. And That's interesting. I I don't I don't remember that, but it tracks with the character. It tracks with everything that you see later on for sure. So yeah, it, if it, you saw that I definitely believe you. Yeah, it, it was my interpretation in that moment that like when he when he embraced or rather when he had the baby thrust upon him that he he held it and he did love it for a second yeah that 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 he did soften for a moment before he switched back into his mode and it was it was almost as if he was like yes this is my granddaughter this is my progeny but she's not the leader of my people yeah and therefore i'm going to give her back and acknowledge 
the loss of the leader of my people. Yeah, and, and I think that that's kind of borne out throughout the movie, like you were saying, you know, throughout the movie, he's giving her rides to school, you know. Yeah, like, he picks her up from school on his bike every day for 10 years. Yeah, so we should, we should talk about that. So basically, like, after this, like... It jumps forward. After this fight that the grandfather and the father have, the father, he is a, he's a Maori artist, and so he does a lot of like woodwork and he does a lot of like sort of like traditional carvings and, and stuff like, like that. pottery and stuff. Pottery. Yeah. He, I think he I think he really kind of runs the gambit of Maori artistry and he is kind of absent, but he's taking his work international, which is also pretty cool. Like, you know, just from like an objective sense, it's kind of neat that he's getting shows in galleries in like Germany and shit like that. And he's doing so to, to provide for his daughter. I mean, yes, he's, he's yes. sending money home so that yep. he can support his child. He's not a deadbeat. And this is, this is what he knows, right? He's, you know, you don't stay in a place where there is the greatest concentration of Maori artists in the world. And make a name or a living for yourself, typically, like no. as a Maori artist. But if you go to Germany, you might be able to... Yeah, they have no exposure to Maori artists. You so. might be able to, to to really make that work as a career path. And, you know, so, yes, it's complicated. It's a, you know, a single person diaspora, basically, right? He moved away to do the thing that he knows how to do in order to, to provide. But that also meant that he was absent for 10 years of her life yeah and she lived with her grandparents which was challenging to say the least she had to live with the constant scorn of her grandfather and the resentment that her grandfather felt against her and the daily reminder that she was not the one that was supposed to be born yeah but it's it's mixed with like uh like a weird like a love too though you he, he begrudgingly loved her well i in, yes. the, in the way that you can't not love a well-mannered child that lives in your house. Right, but like you don't you don't pick a child up from school on your bicycle every day for if, a decade. Yeah, like I it that's why I felt like his character was so like nuanced and interesting is that like he loved her more than anything in the world, but he also despised her. Yeah, he didn't want to love her. He did. But he didn't want to. It, but it was it was really and that's, fascinating. That's kind of fucked up. Yeah. Like it, it's fucked up to say I do not want to love you, especially when it's a child. But you do anyway. Yeah. And and I think a part of that is he knew that his grandchild was supposed to be the future leader of his tribe, and the grandchild that he ended up with was nothing more than just your regular, average, run of the mill grandchild. And, and so he loved her because he was because she was her his grandchild, but. He didn't appreciate or like her and didn't respect her. And I'm going to go one step further here. So something that was like heavily exhibited in this movie with this specific relationship in reverse with the granddaughter, I think it's something that you like you actually see a lot more frequently in real life. As far as like the, I don't want to love you, but I do, is the reverse. Children loving their parents when they have no reason to love their parents. Their parents are horrible, abusive, you know, absent, you know, whatever it happened, you know, to pick your poison for like bad parenting. And you see kids time and time again, how frustrated they are, how, how, how much they don't want to care for their parents, but there's no stopping it. I, I still seek my parents' approval. I still seek their love and their affection. And you see that a lot with, with Pykea and, and her grandfather. And that's, I think typically the way it's portrayed, and I think that's typically the way I've seen it sort of borne out in real life. But in this movie, there is that interesting, like, reverse. 
Like, typically, there's no reason for a grandfather to, like, not want to love their grandchild. That's a very rare circumstance. Yeah. But in this circumstance, he does. He he, he wants to hate her, but, but he, he can't. can't. He does still love her. Um, and I, I think it's interesting that, like, that relationship exists in sort of that reciprocal way, but it's typically one-directional in my in my experience, right? But... but- in this case, she adores and worships her grandfather. Right, despite, she, seeks, she des- seeks his approval. Despite the fact that his words and, you know, everything he says basically bemoan her existence. Mm-hmm. She's like, he doesn't mean it. It's okay. Yeah. Like, he's my Paku. Like, he's my grandfather. It's okay. I forgive him. Right. But, like, it, it's almost like she speaks beyond her years. And, like, she, she seems to, like, understand that, like he has to reject her in in these specific contexts it's very interesting she is as much a slave to traditionalism as he is and she loves her people and her culture as much as he does and so in that way she sort of like accepts it accepts and forgives all of the horrible things that he does and says to her as basically just a byproduct of the way things are or should be yeah Um, which is immensely fucked up because at multiple Uh, points she acknowledges she was not the one that was supposed to survive that day but she did yeah so she's saddled with the burden of you know i'm a constant reminder of the great loss that my would-be brother was to my people Yeah. yeah um so her grandmother is very nurturing a little apologetic as far as the grandfather's behavior is concerned but mm-hmm. she's supportive and she also doesn't take any of Paki's shit. She does not. Um, but at one point in the movie, she does say, like, I let him think that he's in charge. Yeah. Um, which, you know, is awesome and is funny. But at the same time, is also very <laughs> enabling to his more, like, adolescent predilections. Yep. You know, like his, his outbursts and some of the cruel things he says. Um, somebody probably needs to just say like fuck you you are not allowed to talk to people like that yeah, but <laughs> I, I think i think perhaps this is a, a dynamic that plays out broadly for all eternity you know you've got people who need to feel like they have control and then you have people who have a more well-rounded sense of uh, of reality who who allow those people to continue their their imaginative authority i, I feel like this this dynamic has just played out for eternity yeah and the way you just put that you could make the argument that like by enabling him by allowing him to do that it did encourage him to like seek salvation for his people and it pushed him to preserve the culture and maybe his motives weren't the purest in that like he was the leader and he wanted to do things his way but it still got the job done you know kind of thing yeah um anyway so uh she's 12 years old and her father Comes back for a school play and catches the end of it and kind of... He he brings word that he's... I don't think he's he's married, but... He's seeing someone. He's seeing someone. She's pregnant. You know, this this rubs Koro the wrong way. Um, That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's he basically thrilled. shuts the whole thing down. Like, he invites the school teacher over so that the oh, school that teacher was... can date his son. And so awkward. He's like, you're going to start this presentation of your work from the beginning and... He goes back too far to see a slide of Anna, who's this German woman that he's since impregnated. And he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, she's pregnant and we're expecting our first child. And Coral's like, well, 
Ah, <laughs> time to hit that old dusty trail. Oh, time to time to call it a night. Oh, um, God, it's, it but was it, so it, awkward because he like he like he tells his son to like not his son like his other son. There's, he's got two sons. Yeah. The older one is Paikia's uh, father, who's been in Germany and, and doing his work. And then there's a younger son. Radawi. Who has, uh, doesn't really do much. He's a, he helps out. He's supportive, but he, I think, is probably unemployed. Right. But, like, within five minutes of him bringing this, like, teacher to their, like, intimate personal family, like, presentation, he, like, immediately says, all right, all right, take her back to town. You know, yeah. like it's this like oh god, really all the, all the air out of the room type situation. Yeah, uh, uh, and they end up having a heart to heart, which is actually one of my quotes that I think gets at what Mark is talking about with like the sort of like dynamism and complexity of the grandfather. Is um, they're arguing and he's talking about like the son going to Germany and doing his art, and he says, "You've got the privileges, but don't forget you've got the obligations." And, I mean, there's probably many layers to this, but he was speaking, I think, specifically about, like, you learned the traditional Maori techniques for wood carving, for making this art, for doing this stuff. You have the obligation to come back here and pass that on to the next generation. And it doesn't end there. You also, I think, you know, buried in there is you also have the obligation to provide me with a suitable heir and savior to our people, yada, yada, yada. Um, but... The deeper stuff aside, it was an interesting scene because I feel like it really showed the balance between the two perspectives. Like the son wanted to live his own life. He wanted to get his work out into the world and and sort of share Maori culture, you know, more widely. On his um, terms. On his terms, exactly. And, and he wanted to go to Germany and live in Germany and do his thing and, you know, all this stuff. And and that's commendable in many in many respects. Um, you know, the grandfather's perspective was very much like, it is your duty to preserve the culture. You were given, there are many people who are born into a culture and still don't get to experience that culture that, you know, the, the cultural pieces die with the generation above them. And he's like, it is your responsibility. It is your duty. It is your obligation to pass on what you've learned from the masters, from the masters before you to the next generation and that's a pretty compelling argument, too. And so even though I think the grandfather, in many respects, is villainous in this movie. He's uh, in, vilified, for sure. In many respects, you know, in many respects. This interaction, I think, is the most on terms, uh, or sort of like the most equal between the two sides of like traditionalism warring with new thoughts, new ways, new perspectives. It is the most balanced perspective given on those two things where i would say like truly in the middle of what these two people are talking about is probably the right path you know and it's probably the path that the writer and director were aiming for is right in the middle of these two things and then the grandfather sort of like ends up skewing way far to one side and i would argue the father did too in many respects because he sort of left after that yeah um so i think they both sort of like got close and then polarized again and then left. And and it's it's right in the middle where I think everybody was seeking resolution. Yeah, it's it's certainly interesting, you know, because the 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 father is all about promoting Maui culture and like going out into the world and exposing them to that. The grandfather is all about rolling up your sleeves and doing the hard labor of preserving the culture as it was written. And both of which you know, I, I think that the message in this movie, if, if there is a message, I don't, I don't know, um, is that neither path is right. 
you know. And you, neither path is wrong. Yeah. Um, you have to be open to new ideas, and you also have to stick to your roots, you know, both of which conflict with the father and the grandfather's M.O. You can't be too far one way or the other. Because I, I think the father, you know, the father just, I think, you know, we've talked about him wanting to, like, go promote Maori culture and all that stuff, and I think... There's probably some truth in that, but I think... He was in, running from it while he was doing I, it. I think in many respects, like, he he wanted to create art. He only knew how to create Maori art because that's how he grew up and that's how he was trained. But I think he could have... I think that guy would have been perfectly happy making any kind of art. Yeah. If he had been trained a different way. And I think he just wanted to live his life. And I didn't... I don't think he wanted to live it there because... Largely because of his father. And because um, of the reminder that, you know, he lost his wife. That's and, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the reminder of his, his dead wife and dead son. And so, like, I think, you know, I don't want to give the guy too much credit about, like, advertising Maori culture sort of, like, right. abroad. I don't think that was necessarily his motivation. Mm-hmm. I think that was a consequence of where he grew up. And he was called out for that, too. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, the the grandfather actually in that same scene says something like, He's like, you know, hey, did you even look at my my works, my works? And he says, works, it's souvenirs. Yeah. Which is, what you do which isn't is, work. Which is so cutting. Yeah. Like, that's so fucking horrible to yeah. say to somebody um, who's poured their life into making the, making this stuff. But um, I think it's true to the character, though. You it's know? very true to the character. And I think it also, it, it, it tries to illustrate the point that, like, the son wants to leave. He wants to live his own life. He wants to live a modern life independent of his roots and his culture and his... Um, responsibilities and yeah in some ways yeah. his responsibilities his well, obligations I, I, and the I, grandfather wants to change nothing wants to not be flexible or adaptable or invite anything new and wants to live only by the old ways like he already knows where that leads like yeah. he sees the, the the culture shriveling and this again we're, we're saying all of this like the culture shriveling that's the way it's depicted in the movie you know, I, I don't think that is necessarily the case in New Zealand. I think Maori culture is is very well represented in New Zealand and and Certainly. and incorporated well. But I, I don't want to uh, let the dad off but, the hook. Like he does have responsibilities. Yeah. To his. Oh no, daughter. no, not not letting him off the hook. No, he's got responsibilities to his daughter, and he's got responsibilities to to his culture. I mean, because that's the thing is like again, it's portrayed like Maori culture is like shriveling in this movie. And in many respects, any type of cultural minority is always sort of at bay at war with the, um, whatever endangered species, whatever the dominant culture is, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I know in like in, in Scotland, like, you know, years and years and years, Gaelic was not allowed to be spoken or taught. And in order to revive that, you have to, you have to fight, you know, you have to really like, they got laws passed where like, you know, road signs have to be in Gaelic first. I know they've done this in Ireland as well. There are Gaelic schools, you know, there are bilingual schools, there are, you know, to make sure that this stuff gets preserved, gets passed on, that kind of thing. You do have to fight to make sure that the culture persists. But that doesn't mean that the culture is, like, going to disappear tomorrow, you know, kind of thing, which I think, in some respects, this movie sort of depicts it that way. But, to be fair, maybe they were trying to, to play at an important sense of urgency, right? It's, yeah. it's still a movie. You know, at the end of the day, yeah. it's, yeah, it's yeah. a movie. So, Grandpa, uh, Koro, shortly after this scene, there's a little bit of exposition, but the, the nuts and bolts of it is he tells Nani, his wife, uh, to gather the firstborns. Basically, all of the firstborn male children of the entire tribe, village, whatever you want to call it, it didn't work out for Egypt, but we'll see how it how it works out. Yeah, here. yeah. Uh, that mm. 
That was yeah. a dark joke. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't that, and it, it threw me off a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but yeah, so so gathering the firstborns not to kill, but to teach. Um, kind of the opposite of what happened in Egypt. And yeah. So Koro, his, he's like, hey, gather the firstborns because I'm going to teach y'all a lesson. I'm gonna learn you some stuff. You gonna learn today? It, it, <laughs> it fucking hurt. It's oh. kind of like his his hail mary attempt to like pass on his legacy when he feels like his own bloodline is not sufficient to do it. He's like, you know, I'm gonna go fishing for somebody else who can carry it on because yeah, pick up the torch. Yeah, it's more important to him. Also, we we actually had a discussion about this while we were watching the movie, but they never explicitly name him chief or leader, or anything like that. However, he is absolutely the de facto cultural and sort of tribal leader in this area, even though it's not explicitly stated. Everyone looks to Koro for yeah. for everything. Which is, which is, again, why I think they were expecting the next leader to come from his line. Yep. And why what Mark was just saying, like, when he began to sort of, like, doubt and abandon that prospect... He decided to cast a wider net and say, "Like, well, if it's got to go to another family or another another lineage, I better figure out which firstborns are, you know, sort of most likely to be able to be the next leader." Yeah, and that that kind of segues into. In no way is this a montage, but I, I feel like we can kind of like jump through some of these scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Rocky training sequence. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's teaching them how to use the the staff and the Tayaha. Uh, I'm not familiar, but it's 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 a it's a bow staff. Yeah, um, he he opens a school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he, op- he opens a, a like a cultural school basically to train the firstborn male children into being leaders. They teach them the haka. They teach them how to use the tayaha. They teach them bits about the culture that are unfortunately closely guarded secrets i know i know like a lot of aspects of culture you know you you sort of you want that intrigue that mysticism but by and large cultures can live and die by how closely they guard their secrets because if you guard them too closely then the culture is dead yeah and and so he's he's opening up a little bit and this will this will tie into something that happens later with the main character and with the it, girl it goes even deeper than him just opening a school he opened a school for the firstborns to learn about their culture in the original school where their ancestors learned about their culture like this is the one spot on their entire land their entire existence that is solely dedicated to their history and culture so he's like i am going to steep these boys in their heritage like a good english tea yeah, I don't think that, like, holy site is the right way to, like, describe it, but it is definitely a very significant meeting place for them. Yeah. Yeah, it's a combination, like, cultural center meets recreational center, Yeah, you know? Yeah, you get the impression um, that, like, the, the, the carvings, you know, have, like, deep significance. I mean, when, when the father returns, he makes a point to acknowledge. I think he may have done some of those. Yeah, like he like he touches them. Like there's a very like intentional acknowledgement of the architecture of that structure. And he speaks to them and chants to them. Yeah. So meanwhile, while all of this is going on, Pykea is basically trying to participate. Her grandfather wants none of that. Because she's a girl. That's exactly right. She's a girl and that is it. And there is nothing else to be said. That's um, the movie. Basically, yeah. It's all just 
she is a girl. And um, so she, again, being a girl, but also, and more importantly, being a leader, um, decides that is insufficient. This is something that I want to do. This is something that I'm capable of. This is something that I will do. And so she sort of like, in many different ways, goes about learning these things, peeking through windows, watching from a distance and trying to mimic movements, you know, when they're doing things like with the Tayaha. And then she um, finds out then, that her uncle Radui yeah. was a legendary TOF fighter and had won trophies for wielding the Tayaha. As her grandmother says, I think she says... Before he got fat and ugly. <laughs> Before he got fat and ugly. And then she's a, he was a, a bit of a, what did she say? Hot rod, yeah, with the with the Tayaha, yep, <laughs> a bit of a hot rod. <laughs> yeah, and she said he was beautiful. And then one of my favorites, what happened? I don't know. <laughs> he got fat. He got fat and ugly, man. Yeah, and hey, it happens to the best of us. Fat, fat, maybe <laughs> fat, maybe descriptive, but that man is not ugly by any stretch of the imagination. Beautiful eyes. His eyes are stunning. He's got these like like sea green eyes that are just you don't see them very well in the beginning of the movie and then there is a scene where he is basically like looking he's in a house but he's looking into a light source and it is it just illuminates his face and you see his eyes it's just like oh yeah they're very thirsty for this man just just gorgeous eyes also definitely like i think while a more rotund individual he definitely gives the impression of a person who like whilst rounder, is more fit. I like, would call him stout. Yeah, I think, like, you know, I, I would. Ne- I, I don't mean to intentionally compare him to a sumo wrestler, because sumo wrestlers obviously big, but, like, the way sumo wrestlers train, they are athletic underneath what they've oh, got. Oh, he's fat strong, for sure. And he's he seems that way. He seems like the kind of guy who, like, okay, he's big, he's got some extra poundage, but, like, if that dude, d- you know, decided to, like, play a sport, and not even necessarily, like, a I'm not saying he's a linebacker. I'm saying that dude decided to pick up golf. I get the sense that he'd be very good at it. Yeah. You know, he, he's athletic, um, yeah. but well, and, just and athletic to, with some heft. And you get to see that. Um, so he he kind of does a haka with his tayaha to show Paikia uh, the, the fundamentals of toe fighting. And it's very much a ceremonial, like, somewhere between tai chi and it's like a kata yeah it's like a kata basically so he does this ceremonial uh bit with the tayaha where he's uh extending his tongue and and widening his eyes and grunting and yelling and doing these practiced movements that he probably hasn't done in about 20 years but still knows like the back of his hand Mm -hmm. and it's very clear that this was a very important moment in his personal history and so he trains her up and in addition to sort of her you know peeking around the corners and she already knows a great deal because she lived with her grandparents there's also kind of an amusing scene right after that because he gets inspired by teaching paikia uh the the fundamentals of toe fighting and you see him jogging on the beach in a hoodie running right past koro and Koro looks and is visibly confused to see his fat, ugly son <laughs> just running on the beach. And he's like, hey, Dad, and then just keeps going. Which I think, like, actually, that that's a really beautiful scene for, like, multiple reasons. Is like, I think, okay, so the through line of this movie, if you want the top notes of this movie, it's girl is born when grandfather wants a boy. And he doesn't let her participate, but she is definitely the person who can and should be the next leader of their people. 
Like, Absolutely. Like, that is the, the top notes. And I think that scene specifically is, in my opinion, the turning point where you start to see her actions influence other members of the community, starting with her uncle, and start to push them towards bettering themselves. Yeah. You know, like, she, she early in the film, she, she, like, says things to people like, you shouldn't smoke, Maori women shouldn't smoke because it's bad for your health and, you know, it'll harm our reproduction and blah, blah, blah. And she's a little bossy, but she's definitely very clearly elevating the needs of her people. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to encourage people to do things that are good for them, good for the culture, good for everybody. And... This is the first scene where you really see that take effect in a real way is her interest in learning the Taiaha inspires her uncle to basically like start working on his personal health. And he was, and I, I actually wrote this down that the brother and his girlfriend are great examples of complex characters because they have a shit ton of flaws. They are clearly like very into drug use. Um, they hang around with what can only be described as a seedy crowd, but at no point in the movie do you get a sense that they are not good people. They are good people, and they basically just don't have anything to do. Uh, right. uh, they, they are just sort of like, they're bored in many respects. Yeah. And her presence gives him purpose, and so that whole like, oh, he got fat and blah, 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 it's like, why? It's like, I don't know, and it's like, the answer to that is probably like he didn't have purpose because he was the second son in a family that only prioritized the first son. So he got bored and he got lazy and he did nothing but smoke weed and pack on the pounds. And now suddenly there is this young girl who is inspiring people and saying, I want to know more about my culture. I want to know more about how to do this. And her uncle, you know, went up into his mind attic and is pulling out the, you know, the bubble wrapped Christmas ornaments from his past saying, I am. I'm going to relearn the Taiha and I'm going to teach you and I'm going to get in shape and I'm going to do this stuff. And it's amazing to watch the inspiration sort of take root. Yeah. And it's, it's such a small scene, but it packs so much of a punch because you see him like joyously exercising on the beach. Like I'm going to get in shape. Yeah. I'm going I'm to do better for myself. And he runs past his dad very clearly on purpose. <laughs> right. 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 Very clearly yeah. on purpose. And when he's doing it, when he's using the Taiha, his girlfriend and, like, a couple of his friends are, like, watching him do it, and they're, like, fucking into it. They're, yeah. like, hell yeah, like, do it. Like, oh, shit, I didn't know you could do that. Like, at first, they're kind of laughing. They're, like, oh, my God, Rory, what are you doing? And then later on, like, you see him do it, like, one or two more times, and they're, like, yeah, man. Yeah, fucking get it. Fucking get it. <laughs> and, I, and I think that in some ways that was, like, a hint to, it's not a, not a prophecy, maybe, but the grandma. Pretty damn close, yeah. Yeah. Felt like there was going to be someone who came along that united the tribe and 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 brought them to uh, an objectively better position. Mm -hmm. And his his lazy son, the grandpa's um, lazy son, um, is now working out. He's now practicing his heritage. So I think in some ways it was kind of just a hint to the girl's influence is already showing, really. And, and I don't know if it was meant to be so poignant, but like that's what I interpreted from it. Mm -hmm. And it was like as difficult as this movie can be to watch because of watching the way the grandfather treats treat his granddaughter again and again and again. It's fucking infuriating. Um, scenes like that are equally as inspiring as the other scenes are infuriating. You know, you're watching it and you're like, fuck yeah, like he's getting back into his, into his culture and his priorities are now like bringing this back up and doing it again and teaching his niece who he cares deeply about. So again, 
it kind of wa- I, I tell me if you disagree, but I think throughout this like this ne- these next couple scenes, it kind of waffles back and forth between her trying and her grandfather sort of like trying to stop her, and it ultimately culminates in her getting into a small tiff with a tie with a boy, um, Amy. Amy, who who you could very clearly tell the grandfather um, favored favored as the next leader. And she beat him with the tie and the grandfather lost his shit and basically kicked her out of the house. And so she had to go and live with her uncle and his girlfriend in their not-so-nice rundown house. And it, it goes beyond the fact that, like, A, he had explicitly forbade her from doing this. Um, but more than that, he was like, you, you don't realize, like, what you've done is broken a sacred line of all of these people, all of these ancestors that have done exactly as they are told and exactly as they are expected to, and you, a girl, have done this, and that is explicitly forbidden, and you've broken that, and no one can repair that. Which, again, like, I think gets to, you know, I I wrote this down too, is like, as far as evaluation of cultural tradition, it's always important to, like, you know... In my opinion, you know, <laughs> trained, trained as an anthropologist, like tradition is important, culture is important, but that does not mean that you follow it blindly and don't examine it for toxic traits. And like, if you want a better example of toxic masculinity and misogyny, what the grandfather was exhibiting, you need look no further than that. And his lack of perspective led to him almost overlooking what was the obvious choice for the next leader of their people. Yeah. Um, because his traditions wouldn't allow him to look any further. Um, so again, back to that like middle road between what the father was doing, being extremely progressive, but to his detriment, leaving his, in many respects, his culture in the in his rearview mirror. Being and what, distantly progressive. Yeah. Yeah. And what the, the grandfather was doing, holding so tightly to his traditions that he couldn't question them. Yeah. Um, he was staring at a microcosm s- without observing all of the variables. Yeah, somewhere in the middle there is Pikea. what I think all of us would agree is the correct path and what I think the, the author and director are definitely interested in seeing as the correct path. Yeah, this movie was really about the internal struggle that the grandfather went through in order to, like, grow. You know, how do, how do you have such, a, such an old character who is so established in their routines and habits grow and change? And that, I feel like, was the meat and potatoes of this movie, is just slowly chipping away at his expectations. I don't know. I, I feel like we can kind of jump through the middle portion of this movie a little bit. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think I think we're kind of at the end, right? Like, I, Or close to the end. I think yeah. like, the next thing is, because it is that sort of montage, right? There is a quick scene when he's trying to choose the next leader. You're talking about the boat scene? Yeah. 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 He he throws a... It's a whale's tooth? It's a whale's tooth, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Into the ocean, into the water, while he's got all of his students in the boat with him. All except for Hammy. Yeah. Um, And many of them jump out of the boat to try to find this tooth that he's thrown in. You know, his instruction was to to just bring it back to him. And the person who brought it back to him was going to be, I guess, the, the new chief. So you could definitely tell that in this action, you know, in you know when he's when he's on the boat with the other students, that there is some cultural significance to this exercise. That the one who brought back this whale tooth certainly uh, 
in strongest contention for the the for, obvious for, choice. Yeah, for the one who is going to like unite the community, and and none of them were able to bring it back. You know, there's a scene kind of later on where Pykea and her uncle and just her family they were in a boat, and she kind of casually sort of like asks where this event had taken place. And uh, the uncle kind of points to, you know, it was right over there. And she, she just kind of casually says, all right, I'm, I'm going to go get it. And she, she jumps out of the boat. And it's, it's, a, it's a longer scene, but she ends up bringing back the tooth. And It's kind of funny, too, because it, so it's like the uncle, his girlfriend, and their two friends who are sort of similar in disposition. And the girlfriend looks at the uncle and goes, she's been gone a long time. <laughs> she's been underwater for a long time. And he, he says something like, yeah, she's great. <laughs> and then like you see his uh, eyes like it starts to percolate and he goes oh you meant you meant she might be, be drowned <laughs> so he jumps in the water yeah. and he resurfaces like eight times and she hasn't shown up once and then suddenly out of nowhere she shows up on the back of the boat and throws a lobster down on the boat she's like hey this is for koro's tea oh also i found this and just drops the whale tooth like casually oh by the way okay right. hang on follow me here drop the whale tooth is, i'd say is, yeah is that a band name or is that is that like rock the caspar is that a song rock the uh, drop the whale tooth drop the whale tooth I'd drop say, the whale tooth w- w- whale tooth new band name all right just whale tooth teeth whale teeth no is that it's definitely singular i'm just trying to drop the whale tooth so, so I feel like that's that's like rock. I, I all right, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna put "Drop the Whale Tooth" as a song. I feel like the band name could be the Maori word for whale tooth, which is Wasasi. Okay. If I tried to pronounce that, I'd probably butcher it. Wasasi. Yes. Okay. If you read it, you would definitely butcher it. F- fair enough. Fair enough. Anyhow. So she gets she gets them teeth back. Mm-hmm. Gets the teeth. Um, and it leads into what is one of the most difficult scenes to watch in cinematic history. Um, yeah. This scene for me... So one of my favorite things to do as like a total cinephile... I, I ask people, oh, top five, whatever, right? But I oftentimes I'll lead with top five saddest scenes in any movie ever. This scene for me, while I would not put it in my top five, is probably in my top 15. Like, top five includes, like, Artex sinking into the swamps of sadness Oof. in The NeverEnding Story. Let's see. Uh, the old man giving his wife one last kiss in Titanic as the water rushes into the room. Mm. Um, the, uh, the opening scene of Up, perhaps? You know what? Very sad. It's it's That's not on my list, but I, I think that would be on a lot of people's list. So that's a good, a good answer. Um, also, another one that fucking slays me, like brings me to tears is did you guys ever see never been kissed yeah when she gets egged oh she gets like set up thinking that she's going to the prom with the most popular guy and he like pops out of the limo and eggs her fucking john hughes man. that scene turns my stomach over so bad anyway this scene um basically pikea invites her grandfather who has basically after the boys failed to return the tooth he basically pulls inside inside himself and he lays in bed and he becomes massively depressed and and basically believes that the death of his people in this culture are you know are not inevitable yeah and she unrelentingly even after how horribly he's treated her is still trying to get in touch with him and still trying to connect with him she gives him a special invitation to her like some school event 
And then he doesn't show up at the beginning and he about halfway through decides he's going to go, gets his suit on and then gets distracted because a whole bunch of whales have become beached. Yeah. He, However, he walks the shoreline. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he like, as I recall, he, has he a like spidey sense he, moment. Yeah, he exactly. He like leaves and his back is to the beach and he sort of like pauses and then turns around and sees a beached whale, goes down to it and then looks up and there's like. Ten more. Ten more all over the beach. Meanwhile, this this is so upsetting. I can't, it's hard to even describe. But basically, meanwhile, she does her school play thing, which is really awesome. And then it turns out that she won a writing competition, not only at her school, but also at like all the other schools in the area, right? Their district. And she has that special a, tribute. Yeah, it's like a speech contest. And she ends up delivering this speech about her grandfather and the preservation of her culture but actually, she basically does a monologue about this middle way that we've been discussing, right? Like, I love my culture, I love my people, and I love that my grandfather has preserved these things and, and pushed for them to remain. But we need to be open and understanding. And she's got this bit about, like, we need a lot of leaders, not just one. And those leaders don't just have to be men. And we need to open our eyes to the possibility that our culture, we can preserve it and let it change because yeah, sometimes a leader gets tired yeah yeah and she it gives says, yeah. and she gives like a really good analogy to their origin story with the og pikea yeah she she goes into the entire backstory of the history of her name and then she you know explains even he got tired yeah and he had even, to call for the the ancient ones to help him even pikea got tired and and he chanted for the ancient ones to come help him and this is what he chanted and then she goes on to recite the chant in Maori and, you know, continues on through, like, the entire time she is just choking back tears and trying not to sob I, openly on stage. I mean, not even choking back. I mean, she is just... She's leaking. I, tears are just pouring down her face and she is... It's a very, very difficult scene. It's yeah. Honestly, like, that's the, that's the most difficult part is, like, it's touching and it's inspiring and it's amazing... But it's delivered through this 12-year-old girl who is pouring tears and her voice is cracking and she's trying to stay strong on stage while she is just crying and looking at the empty chair where her grandfather was supposed to be. Oh my god. Like it physically hurts to watch It that. does. It does. That's a perfect way of putting it. It's fucking like you're watching it and you're like... I want to do anything but watch this. Like right now. I just want to hug that little girl and tell her that everything's gonna be okay. Yeah. But that's that's the mark of a good drama. Where it it's is like uh, I I want to fucking turn it off because this hurts to watch. Mm -hmm. But like that that's just a sign that you're invested. Which is oh, totally. all the more reason totally. not to turn it off. Like, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Like Mark said, I want to see the resolution. Yep. Like this hurts too much it to pisses not. Pisses me off so much. I have to know. Yep. Yep. Uh, so the next know. scene is them. Basically discovering the whales that yeah that the grandfather's been with the whales the whole time and they need to figure out how to save them. Yep. And so, yeah, un Uncle Rodowie comes in and he's like, "You need to see this. Come down to the beach." And like everybody's at the house. Yep. Because that's just kind of the dynamic that they run. Everybody just sort of like they have an open door policy thing. So Rodowie comes down to the beach and everybody like the entire village is there and they see like a dozen beached whales and in maori koro says who is to blame you know and it's implied that his granddaughter is yeah, the one to blame it totally is it's not explicit but 
it is. Yeah. We yeah. know who it is. See, I, I interpreted that as he is to blame for, for being so stuck in his ways. No, but he did. He hadn't. He, 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 didn't didn't re- he hadn't realized the error of his ways at this point. Right. right. But my interpretation as the viewer was that he was confronted. Like, you're supposed to be sitting there watching it going like, you are you! <laughs> like, get off! Well, 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 yeah, yeah. No, I and, and, and maybe there's there's some nuance there, but, like, my interpretation as the viewer was that he thought it was his, do- his, his granddaughter, but in reality, it was him who was too stubborn to expand his notion of, of the next generation. Was and, mm-hmm. and that's 100% correct, in my opinion. He's looking at this situation going... Who is to blame? Because he knows, like, his granddaughter's the one that broke the line. His granddaughter's the one that broke the rules. His granddaughter is the reason that his people don't have a leader. So he's like, this is her fault. Mm-hmm. But in reality, he is so far removed from the situation, and at the same time so heavily invested in the situation, that he can't look at himself with that same scope and say, oh, I've been so stubborn and so blind to the truth. I've been blindly following tradition so hard that the truth was in front of me the whole time and I I just can't see it. Meanwhile, Pykea isn't even allowed to go down to the beach to help Mm -hmm. uh, because she's a girl. So all of the men are attaching this this tow rope and this tractor trailer to... Well, to be fair, this one, I think, may have been less about being a girl and more about being a Brute strength. I, I think it would have been more about being a kid, because there were a lot of women there. Yeah. Um, so they're, all of the guys, all of the men, are trying to haul this giant whale to turn it around so that they can send him back out to sea, because the whale's still breathing. I mean, his he's still blowing out his blowhole, so... Blow, blow, oh, damn it! I was going to get it! Blowing, ah. out, blowing out his blowhole! And so... They're trying, and they're pulling, and they're running the tractor. The rope breaks. All is lost. The entire village says, you know, let's take a break, regroup. We'll get the whales back in the water. I think we should mention that, like, they're trying to keep all of the whales alive, and there is one that gets beached a little bit further away, and... It's clearly the matriarch of the group. Significantly larger. It is very obviously a metaphor for the grandfather. Mm -hmm. This whale was clearly the leader of that pod, beached itself basically in in anguish and like loss of hope. Yeah. And she knows that it it wants to die. It wants to to just end it because it's so distraught about the plight of, you know, it's whale pod, which, you know, what track the metaphor, right? Like it is her grandfather. And all of the other whales beached themselves after this leader mm-hmm. beached itself. And um, will not go back in until the leader does. Yep. And so the entire village knows if they can get this whale back in the water, the rest of them will follow. They try everything. Nothing works. So the entire village goes and they're like, we'll take a break. We'll come back at it. You know, we'll rest up. We'll be strong. So Pykea goes down and and bonds with this whale, touches this whale, and essentially kind of like communicates with it and she decides to climb on top of this whale and she grabs this nest of barnacle that's like right up on its hump and sits into like a a mount position and suddenly the whale starts like flapping its tail and righting itself and goes back into the water and this is the line that hit me so hard the first 
like two or three times that I watch it. And even now watching it tonight, my fourth or fifth time seeing this movie, it still punches me in the gut. She's riding the whale as the whale goes down into the water. And she says, I'm not afraid to die. That's pretty baller. Like, this is a 12-year-old girl who is named after this mythical progenitor of... Whale-riding progenitor. Yeah, (laughs) and she's like, I'm riding the whale, and she's not afraid, she's not scared, she's not nervous. She knows that she's gonna die if she does this. And she says, I'm not afraid to die, and then she just lets go and floats off into nowhere. Yeah, the next time we see her, she is, like, almost comatose in a bed. Yeah. Another thing that I I do want to point out about that scene is, like, I love the fact that that scene comes on the heels of, like, her speech in her school. And, like, how she's talking about, like, there needs to be lots of leaders and there needs to be this and that. And, like, her uncle in that scene, like, fucking owns it. Oh, yeah. That dude is, like, he is very clearly the leader of the effort to keep the whales alive. And he is going from, basically, like, every whale has, like one to four people working on it to try and keep it wet to try and you know make sure it's alive you know all this stuff and he is coordinating this basically it's really awesome to see and he's also even though the grandfather is the one who called for the rope and the tractor and all this stuff he was the one who like led the charge to like get the rope around the the whale's tail and i i just i love the fact that like the uncle is is very clearly the most evident example of her effect on her people you know it starts with him running on the beach and him you know picking up the taiha uh, which is awesome but that's him following her this scene was him becoming a leader because of her right right and i loved that and it, it it's this like you know this distribution of like we can all pitch in and do this and it, it, it's it's secondary to the metaphor of like you know the whale being her grandfather and her leading him back into the ocean and inspiring him and giving him hope that the people will continue the people will survive the culture will survive secondary to that but i think just as powerful in sort of its own way yeah So immediately following this scene where she rides the whale into the surf, Nani and Koro are standing on the beach, and for all they know, they've just watched their granddaughter die. And she walks up to Koro, opens his hand, and just slams the whale tooth into his hand. And he goes, which one? And she looks him dead in the eyes and goes, what do you mean, which one? And then just walks away. Yeah. Very clearly, like, bitch, this was your granddaughter, the yeah. one you've been ignoring for <laughs> twelve your, years. Is not Open one of the boys. <laughs> stop, stop closing your eyes with this. Um, so that takes place. She kind of comes out of her recovery. Yeah, she's basically in a coma in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it kind of wraps the movie up. You know, there's a there's a quick scene where they're finally taking the boat with significant cultural and family connection to yeah her. her father who is a master maori craftsman and carver was building this boat or, or carving this boat and sort of abandoned the project when his wife died yeah yeah, yeah. uh but it was pretty far along i mean it was very identifiably a boat yeah you know uh uh even though it was abandoned you could tell what it was and it's it's a very long boat 
definitely a seagoing vessel, not a kind of local jobby. But clearly this boat had been finished. Yeah, yeah. In, um, the, in the final scene. So yeah, the, the the climatic bit is like the whole village is, is together. They're all rowing. They're all moving forward. And they're chanting a haka as they do it. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's this coming together of community, you know, not that Pika is like this chosen one, but through her influence, she's brought the community together in a way that they haven't in, in a long time. So it, it provides like some closure that doesn't like push too far into fantasy. You know, I think that mm-hmm. personally, my interpretation is that they were flirting a little bit with fantasy when she mounts the whale and, and suddenly there's this connection and the whale like writes itself and goes back out to sea. I... I didn't roll my eyes, but like that kind of took it right up to the threshold of like, okay, what is this? I think that's the perfect threshold, though, right? Yeah, like yeah. That's it needs to be there. Yeah, but it didn't. It didn't go past that. Yeah, you know, um, it, it grounded itself. She. Was... We didn't go all the way to free Willy. Yeah, yeah. And I think you know one thing. I'm just sort of making the connection on right now is like early in the film, she's talking with her father about basically what her grandfather wants. And, you know, she's like, oh, he wants a new leader. And her father says, I think he wants a prophet. And, you know, he wants a sort of, you know, I'm not using this in the universal sense, but in like the culturally specific sense, he wants a Muhammad, yeah. you know, a Moses or a Jesus type character to sort of like oh. this one person solves all the problems. Yep. Unite, and, unite and refocus. Yeah, and like basically what she ends up demonstrating by finally convincing everybody in, up to and including her grandfather who is the sort of last domino to fall, she doesn't have to be a prophet. She just has to be a leader which will topple the cultural hang-ups that previously wouldn't have allowed her to be a leader. Right. And allow these other people to take ownership of the proliferation of their culture, like second sons, other girls, young boys who just happen to not be selected as the next leader. It doesn't have to be one person. And the irony is she becomes a leader by demonstrating that many people simultaneously can be leaders. And in that way, actually kind of becomes a prophet. (laughs) Well, the funniest... Which is really cool. The funniest part about it to me, too, is she was the second born and she was a girl. Oh, yeah. Um, so that kind of wraps it. Man, it, it was a great movie. I, I really enjoyed it. So what were some of the standout things? I know for me, like, I, I really enjoyed the soundtrack of this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, for whatever reason, like, it jumped out at me, like, and I, I have no idea. So I'm really kind of jumping out on, on a ledge here. But some of the songs that they used in this movie, like, the composition, I was very unfamiliar with. So I have to, like, I, and this is a total shot in the dark, that maybe the the director had sourced some of this, some of the soundtrack from more regionally specific. Local and, artists? Yeah, and I, I have no idea if that's true or not. I just it had know, that kind of flair. Yeah, I just I, I just know that I I was not familiar with this flavor of, of music before. It was it was very interesting to me. For me, what I appreciated about this movie, and I I know that a lot of my friends will disagree, um, but I loved the acting in this movie. Your friends? I do. How long has this been going on? Um, I didn't want to tell you, but it's it's been going on for about twenty years now. Son of a bitch! I know. I know. I, I try to keep it close to the vest. He's, he's not even wearing a vest. You guys can't... He's lying already. He's not even wearing a vest. Well, maybe if he was wearing a vest, he wouldn't have a broken rib. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's Safety uh, vest. Coming full circle. Yeah. That bright orange keeps you safe from impact. Um, 
But yeah, so... He says it with such a defeated, like, tone. Ow. If only I was wearing orange. (laughs) You guys are evil. Um... But for me, I, I really appreciated the acting because nothing was underacted or overacted. Everything felt like very natural conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, one exception might have been some of the children in the movie. But to be fair, they're like fucking 10 years old. But that Pika, like, no. oh my God. That she scene was phenomenal. Where she's Ow. like, where she's breaking up you know, yeah. when she's doing the tribute to her grandpa. That was hard to watch. Yeah. So, again, there's no Scarlett Johansson's in this movie. There's no Brad Pitt's or Robert Downey Jr.'s in this movie. Yeah, you're, say- you're saying, like, you know, when your entire cast is made up of people who, by and large, just aren't established actors and actresses. Yeah. It's believable. amazing that you would have a hit rate as high as this movie has. Yeah. Yeah. And, it- like, all of the dialogue felt natural and organic. All of the fights felt like real fights that you would experience with family. Mm-hmm. All of the monologues and one-liners, all of the conversations. Like, in cinema and movies, you, you get a lot of these really flowery conversations that have, you know, one character speaking for a really long time. And then they say, what do you think? Or, you know, how does that, how do you feel? Or, you know what I mean? And there's just this quiet moment of reflection, and then the other person has this nice, long, flowery monologue. That's not normal conversation. People don't talk like that. That's how normal people have conversations. People interject. People start talking before you're done talking. You know, there's weird pauses. There's weird cadences. Nobody in this movie spoke with the same cadence as any other person. Yeah. Yeah, I I would agree. This movie, more than most, I got lost in it. Like, it didn't feel like I was watching a movie anymore. I felt like I was watching... It was very people. immersive. Yeah. Oh, man, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, to- I totally agree. I agree on the acting. I agree on the soundtrack. I think the writing was superb. I just, I love that this movie, it simultaneously exposes the viewer to and teaches about Maori culture. It's inspiring for both Maori and non-Maori people. And, you know, you, you're watching that and you're getting, like, fucking jacked up. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, it's exciting. And I can only imagine that that is amplified when it's your culture that's being sort of sort oh, of yeah. you know I mean, the be- message beefed is up like but like to see yourself represented yeah i mean like you know i'm not gonna you know like my dad's from scotland and it's like i'm not gonna pretend like i don't get fucking like worked up when i'm watching braveheart yeah <laughs> you know? like fucking it pumps you up and it, it, it i don't have it, the same pumps, experience it, because well, my no, family's I mean, english and i don't get fucking stoked about downton abbey or anything but. no but i mean everybody gets pumped up when they watch braveheart you don't have to be scottish that's true you know but uh, but that's it, another layer it might not hit you any more or less but it can hit you maybe a little bit differently if you're you know if your exposure is a little bit different i get really um, stoked when i see movies that are based in seattle well, there you go. Sleepless in Seattle. And, exactly. you know, Jackson's over here, you know, touching himself deeply. And, yep. and you know, I'm, uh, I've been sleepless in Seattle many times. You've, you, insomnia is not healthy. No. Um, but, but uh, you know, it, it is. It's inspiring for, for both Maori and now Maori audiences. I'm not Maori. I, I didn't. What? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm a little Maori, but. Okay. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up with that as my cultural background. But I couldn't imagine a Maori person 
watching this movie and not at the very least taking away from it like love and appreciation for where they came from their people their culture and saying like i just i want to proliferate this yeah and i think for my limited time in new zealand i loved the fact that i i feel like at least as compared to other places in the world maori culture in new zealand is elevated and promoted in like in a very integrated way and it's exciting and it's engaging and it it makes new zealand new zealand right yeah. and it's movies like this it's 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 media like this books film television whatever music that can tap into a particular sort of cultural strain and elevate it that when people have connection to that hear it watch it read it whatever can get that bug and go like fuck yeah this is my people or this is a connection i have and 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 i want to reach back into my past learn as much as i can and carry it as far forward into the future as i can and that's fucking that's really cool man that's that's really really cool and i think this movie did a great job at sort of like doing that yeah. you know yeah yeah uh, was there anything that, uh, I mean, are we ready to move on to maybe things that we didn't like? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I kind of already tipped my hat a little bit and this is a small gripe. I feel like it maybe for the narrative, it was almost necessary, but it pulled me out a little bit when she crawls up on top of that whale at the end of the movie and it writes itself for me. That took what was a wholly grounded story that was steeped in cultural significance. Significance. Yeah. And, and took it that one small, maybe half step beyond that to, I hesitate to, to call it fantasy, but like embellishment. And it, it took me out just a little bit. But at the same time, I feel like it was, it was narratively solid you know for for the movie it did not in any way um besmirch anything that i'd seen before but i, I think personally i would have wished that they had found perhaps a more grounded way of establishing her her elevation to status as the new leader yeah yeah you know you know cultivating her grandfather's respect and, and uniting the community but again it's a small gripe and i i don't i don't know if it would have worked any other way mm -hmm. um but if i had to find a criticism and i'm, I'm definitely searching with this movie, because I, I I truly enjoyed it. Um, that's, all, that's all I could offer. I can't think of a single thing that I don't like about this movie. Like, I wouldn't say that this is the best movie ever made or anything to that effect, but for what this movie is, I don't think there was a single thing that I would change. Yeah, I feel like when you're, like, looking for something I did like or didn't like, right, it's like, if you put that on a 10-point scale, anything that falls below 5, I might say, like, okay, I kind of had an issue with this. You know, anything that falls above, it's like, I really don't have an issue with it, even if it's 5.1. Yeah. You know, and it's like, like you said, it's like, not the greatest movie ever made, but... If everything sort of falls over the five mark, I really can't ding it on anything, you know, but I'm, I, I'm, that's not to say I'm going to give it a 10, but, you know, it, 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 I would say all the elements you know, sort of stack up over five. The only thing that, and again, this is both like a, a knock, but it's also actually like a boon to this movie, is like the movie, it could have been, and I mean, I don't mean that in that it should have been, it could have been a little bit more explanatory about aspects of Maori culture and sort of like steep the, the viewer a little bit more in certain things. But at the same time, and the reason I'm not saying this as it should have been this way, it's pretty awesome to see like an unapologetically Maori movie. Like we're not going to explain to you every aspect of the thing. This is just us and how we live our lives. And if we say or do a thing that you're unfamiliar with, just take it at face value that that's something that's a piece of us and we're not going to explain it in the movie but you can always look it up later or yeah. you can you know ask us about it kind of thing so i think that's both like a a knock and a boon in that it would have been 
awesome from this perspective of people who want to learn more, know more, even Maori people who want to sort of see it up on screen. But that's really, that's really all I've got. I, like you, everything's over, I think over the five mark for me. Um, Do we have any more quotes that we didn't get to? My quote, it's not like a singular quote. It's more of an interaction. And this, this is somewhat earlier in the movie. There's a, just a quick interaction between one of the kids of the community and his father. And he says, you know, see you tonight. You know, like he's excited to see his dad. And the father just kind of says, next couple of days maybe and for whatever reason you know that that jumped out at me as at that point the the community was breaking apart there weren't strong ties between fathers and sons even the main character you know her her dad just kind of disappeared in her life for whatever reason that that jumped out at me that was a hard scene to watch yeah Yeah. uh because it was basically it was a smaller version of her and her grandfather trying to connect and this was this kid just desperate for his father's attention and, and approval yeah and his dad came for a second and he was so excited and so proud that his dad was there to see him yeah, yeah. and then his dad just pieces out again left literally in the middle of the fucking yep. like event see you in a couple days maybe um but i'm sorry jackson go ahead uh so the the one quote that i have was after Pykea gets on the whale and rides out into the surf. She's basically in a coma, and the entire village is, like, praying that this little girl makes it out. And uh, one of Nani's friends that we've seen throughout the movie says, I've been praying to God about it, and if that little one wakes up, I'm giving up the smokes. (laughs) And Nani kind of chuckles and goes, she'd like that. This the this was also one of the women who was scolded earlier for for smoking because <laughs> smoking is hazardous to the reproductive health of Maori women who are sixty five and older. <laughs> yeah, was it like the the reproductive properties? Yes, or it was. It was some silly. To which she responds, "You'd have to smoke that out of a funny place to affect your reproduction." <laughs> um. So mine was, I honestly, I can't even remember the context. I think it was when her father, in the beginning of the movie, he was thinking about taking her back to Germany with him. And her grandfather says, take her. She's no use to me. And that, I mean, like, that's not not an isolated incident, but I feel like that quote sums up exactly how the grandfather acted and felt towards his granddaughter and specifically his granddaughter's place in the culture. So that quote immediately takes place after the slideshow of him displaying his work and sort of dropping the bomb that his German girlfriend Anna is pregnant. And then when Koro says that line, Paikia runs off to her father's boat, uh, which is very obviously like her thinking place. And uh, her father Poro comes out and has that little sit down and is trying to comfort her by like, you know, your grandfather says these things and she just... She just matter-of-factly says he doesn't mean it. Yeah, she just forgives him immediately. Like, immediately, on instantly. A, unequivocally just forgives him. She's like, it's okay, he doesn't mean it. He just says these things. That's also, that that interaction, that scene is also where he says the whole, like, I don't think he's looking for a leader. I think he's looking for a prophet. Yeah. It's actually kind of beautiful that, like, she can recognize that he is so wrapped up in his customs, but, like, she knows him in, in a more intimate way that, like, she knows that he doesn't mean it. Yeah. You know, that, that he can say these things out of anger or out of... Resentment. Yeah, but but she knows where his heart is at, you know? Uh, again, I, I'll die on this hill. I, I, I think that, that the grandfather is the most complex character and the most interesting person to to dissect in this movie 
I hope he dies on that hill and not the hill of libraries not being good. Yeah. <laughs> I, you I'm know, not actually... You know what? Fine. Fine. Hot take. F libraries. Oh. Hang on. Hang on. Listen up, viewers. That is us beating his ass. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry, libraries. I've spent a lot of good time uh, inside you. You uh, make me happy. That's not the first time Mark has said that. Usually, I, I, usually not about libraries. It, it's not even the first time he's said it in my presence. That's a spicy take. That's a spicy meatball. Mm, I'll show you a spicy meatball. He actually said that right after he Verbatim. said that to you. That's that, true. Yeah, I've spent a lot of good time inside you. Yeah. Um, are we Are we Lurdern? I believe so. Are we Laura Dern? Dern. Can can we rate this bees natch? All right, I'll rate it. <gasps> He's Do gonna it. rate it. He's gonna rate it. All right, start I'm, us off. I'm throwing uh, seven point eight. It's a little dark. Beached whales. Mm. Yeah, but but it's contextually it, tra- it, tra- it, it tracks. Yeah. You said seven point eight. Seven point eight beached whales. I will go seven point four. Tayaha. Was that yours? Yes. Nice. Hang on, what's a Taiha again? It's the, the staff the that they use for toe fighting. Uh, well, I am going to go with something that was not explicitly said out loud in the movie, but I do know what it is. 7.2 Wasaces, which Ooh. are whale tooth necklaces. Wasaces? Wasaces. Wait, Wasaces or Wasaces? Wasaces. Wasaces. All right. And what did you say? Seven point two. Seven point two. We're pretty. We're all it's a pretty, pretty tight cluster. Yeah. All right. So what we're gonna do is deliver our very first scene score. Scene score. Scene score. Scene score. This is a big thing. Should, should we do it lyrically? We... Scene score. Uh, well, I, well, I was but, looking uh, for a scene score yeah. all around. All right. Scene score. How about I lead? You go in and then you come in. Right. Okay. Scene score. We harmonized really well that there. That was pretty great. I think I was a little too close to the mic, but we harmonized well. <laughs> I know, right? Blew the F out of that. Um, um, okay, so the scene score. We've described this before. This is our, our modified score. We take all of the, the scores that we've given it, and then we modify it based on your familiarity as the listening audience with this movie. If you want to be a part of creating this score, email us at Three, that is the number three, men in a basement at gmail.com. You can also find both the description of the scene score and also how to sign up for our weekly survey. Yeah, uh, how do you how to sign up for a weekly survey where you will be able to weigh in on your familiarity with upcoming films uh, on our website, which you can find on podbean.com. Just type in three men and a basement. Um, okay, the scene score for this movie. Uh, Drum roll, please. Or should we should we lead off with the familiarity or no? Let's go with familiarity first. Save you know, build the suspense. Just okay. Roll. So the familiarity with this movie was about about thirty three percent. It doesn't shock me. No, it was pretty low. And with the scores that we gave it, our scene score, our adjusted score, is eight point zero. All right. Which punches high. Feels good though. Uh it's it's higher than any one of our individual ratings. But I think feels good because it is enhanced by the fact that like, I'd I'd never even heard of it's this. It's a movie. hidden. It's a hidden gem, right? Yeah, yeah. Like like uh, the whole por- the, the the purpose of the scene score is to like capture both the quality of the movie 
and how well known is it? And this is kind of subjective. I had never even heard of this movie, and I, I loved it. So and see, I saw right. this movie almost twenty years ago, and have seen it four or five times since. Yeah, I, I, I feel like it's pretty good. Yeah, I agree. It's pretty good. Uh, okay, that was our first scene score, guys. I, 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 I like that. That I was fun. It. That I was fun. It. We should practice harmonizing. Yeah. If this doesn't I, work out, we could join a. Barbershop, barbershop quintet. Or quintet. Mm, yes. Barbershop quintet. Who are the other two? Qu- uh, quintet? Or, oh, fuck. Trio. Triptet. Tri- triple? Tri- triple? Triple? Tri- barbershop trio. Trio? Don't, don't go trio. It's too, it's too common. Mm. Something with a t at the end of it. Triplet. Tri- oh, barbershop triplet? Yeah. That sounds like a deformed... I feel like we shouldn't bind ourselves exclusively to barbershops. Okay. I feel like we might find it difficult Salon? to find Triplet? work we could... salon we'd have better luck with or we could just go like generic like like great clips hair hair treatment Quint- trip triplet tri- 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 and then do like guest performances at nail salons well yeah obviously if, we, if we're running bars. short on work yeah sure what absolutely about massage mm, i don't think they call them massage parlors what do they call them I don't know, but a uh, massage parlor has a definite flavor of happy endings. Well, that's... We, that's we are the happy ending. That, Come on. Uh, yeah, fair. Did okay. you hear that harmony? I did. I retract my previous statement. We start, I have we start, no we reticence. start off with a beat and say, A stranger is touching you. <laughs> a stranger is touching you. I hope they don't shut you downstairs <laughs> and make you go. <laughs> what did we just do? <laughs> I kind of liked it. Oh, I don't know if we should cut it out, though. Uh, I don't want to. <laughs> that was I'm, for you. I hate you so much. <laughs> oh, Jackson, yeah, that's right. He's broken. Jackson's in physical pain. Uh, all right. Well, um... On that very lyrical note, that is all for the All Crap Review. Thank you for listening. If you have any ideas for movie reviews, please contact us at three. That is the number three, menandabasement at gmail.com. Uh, please be sure to check out YCC and their, their new song, Drop the Wheel Tooth. Uh, they, are, they are blowing it up. Speaking of blowing... Drop the cast ball. Blowing it out is blowhole. Drop the wheel. They are they are touring with YCC, and you can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, or if you find your podcasts. And until then, I am Colin Cloud, Mark Alpier, Action Jackson, and we will see you in cyberspace. Fuck. Scene score. Fuck. Uh, <laughs>